At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. Here we go. Live to tape. Welcome to Millennial Season 4, Episode 8. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. I'm Laura. And I'm Matt. Matt's final episode. How does this feel, Matt? Oh, it feels fucking great. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's... It, I don't know. It's. It, it's. It hasn't sunk in yet. Yeah. It really hasn't. To send you off with a bang. Uh, each of us will be banging you tonight. And then we will be listening to some voicemails and we have some emails from listeners who want to say farewell to matt oh but bye <laughs> oh. <Okay>. first um <laughs> i thought we could also play a little game throughout the episode so we all know micah's iconic live to tape um this has been on the show since he left live to tape okay it's it's become a part of the intro so I thought that since you are now leaving the show, we could have you add in your own live to tape thing after Micah's. So it'll be, you know, live to tape, and then it's you saying something quick. Now here's the game. You can come up with whatever you want, but it has to be family friendly. We can't have okay. a new listener tuning into the show and hearing, I love Cox. Like, that's a bad way to start oh, off. <laughs> okay. experience. So, just a couple of hmm. words, and you can insert them whenever you want throughout at any point in tonight's main show, but you can't tell us what those words are. And we're okay. going to have to find them and decide what you wanted in the show. Now, to increase your chances of something you want in the show, being in the show, you can maybe throw in a few phrases, but just make it quick, make it snappy, make it (laughs) (laughs) family-friendly, and uh, then we'll insert it into uh, beginning with, I guess, next week's episode. Okay. And it it can't, like, sound like it's out of context or anything, I'm guessing, right? It can. I guess... uh, But I guess we're not supposed to necessarily know, so... Okay. Do whatever. Feels All right, right. Cool. So, so just we're we're doing it up the butt. Oh, okay. And then we actually um, have another um, request. This actually came from the Facebook group. You know how I have this clip of Micah saying yes. Yes. People are requesting that we have a clip of you saying no. <laughs> so we can use both of them throughout the the, the course of the show in oh. the future. So can you I, just do a couple? Yeah, of I'll have to do a right few. Now? It's gonna sound really weird because I don't usually say no. <laughs> it's not a word I say that often. Just give us a couple different versions of it. Maybe an angry no, a nice one, whatever. Okay. You me do it right now? Mm-hmm. Okay. I'll do the angry one. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> 
Oh no 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 no! That was from Get Out. It's a little nod to the movie. Oh, that was good. No. No, sir. Okay. Okay. I think we've got enough. I like that one a lot. We're gonna have need that Mike come back and record a gay no. No. I mean, yes. <laughs> I don't think Micah is capable. <laughs> you can just elongate the the A part. Yes. <sighs> anyway, all right. Well, Matt, we'll get to the goodbyes from the listeners later in the show. Um, Elisa, you had something to tell us. Oh, I just wanted to talk about um, how awesome I am. I My boyfriend's birthday is actually tomorrow, and I set up a surprise Dungeons & Dragons party for him this past weekend, and I just had to, I, I just wanted to talk about it because I thought it was fucking incredible. I've been playing Dungeons & Dragons now for about, I would say close to a year, maybe 10 months or so, um, and it's, we always play online because everyone lives so far apart. Like our Dungeons and Dragons group is spread out throughout like the East coast. Um, and you know, I've enjoyed it, but it's really kind of hard to stay focused sometimes when you're online playing in person is a whole different experience. And, uh, my boyfriend's always wanted to do it. He's only done it once before many, many, many years ago. So for his birthday, <laughs> I brought in like the entire D and D group. <laughs> Um, some folks like live in Massachusetts, others in Pennsylvania, New Jersey. I mean, they're spread out all over the place. And without him knowing for the past three months, I was organizing them coming into town. Um, I, the hotel room, I booked like a reserved space at a bar for us to play. I got a birthday cake. I even made custom t-shirts with all of our like character names on the back and it said like Brian's birthday 2018 <laughs> on it. Um it, we we went all out and it was an amazing time and when my boyfriend walked in Friday night to the big reveal, he thinks that we're just going out to a bar and then there are all of his friends, our whole D&D group. I have like you know the board set up and all of our little miniature figurines and like <laughs> <laughs> the monster manual and like everything <laughs> and he turned bright fucking red i mean like tomato sauce red i didn't know he turned that color i've never seen him that shade before um because he just he was just i guess the center of attention and and it was a little sh- shocking like genuinely shocking for him but that's amazing uh, anyway that's amazing. yeah it turned out that's awesome. it turned out so fucking well and I I enjoyed myself. I mean, forget, forget his birthday. It was um, it was just incredibly fun. So Dungeons and so. Dragons is a card game. No, so it took me a while to understand this. It's too. a lifestyle. I, <laughs> I mean, it is. <laughs> the best way to describe it is that there is, and this sounds weird, okay, but just roll with it. There's a dungeon master, and basically, the dungeon master or your DM for short, he's the storyteller. <laughs> he he creates the entire narrative. He's writing a story. 
usually of his or her own making. And then you, you play a character in that story. And the entire game revolves around rolling dice to see what kind of decisions you're going to make and how the story is going to unfold. So it's role-playing. I, for instance, role-play as a druid who's like very in touch with nature and my whole purpose in life is to, you know, save the world from plastics. (laughs) It's kind of of a stretch. (laughs) This is not a joke, by the way. I'm being dead fucking serious. This is my character. (laughs) So wait a second, though. You're playing on a computer? I'm confused because you said you went to a bar to do this. So normally we pay, we play on the computer. And we oh just my god! You guys went something. out in public for this. We went in fucking public <laughs> and we rolled like twenty sided die and we were like, oh my god! You get inspiration. That's so incredible. And it was really nerdy and amazing. Um, but like normally on online, how we play is through like just just like an internet website called Roll Twenty, and it, you know we put we we get on Skype. Um, we talk through there and like the website roll 20 allows you to roll virtual dice. And so that's how we play online. But the game is designed to be played in person where you have a map in front of you. Like imagine like a Lord of the Rings, middle earth style map. And you put your figurine, which represents your character on the map, wherever you are. And you are, you're telling a story, but your, your dungeon master is like, is like the author of the story. And then you are a character like Frodo, Sam, whoever, and you have to make decisions and you roll dice to see how your decisions unfold. This sounds wow. a lot like settlers of Catan. No, but not super, but with not extra really. die. <laughs> well, that's awesome. Um, I'm sure that scored some major points for you. And, it was his birthday. That's interesting. Or his birthday's coming up. That's interesting because you just had your birthday. Was the D&D party like on your birthday or something? Or? <laughs> yeah. Actually, it was. The big the big reveal, the surprise party was on my birthday, which he was super pissy about <laughs> because he's like, oh, my God, you're ruining your own birthday. I'm like, yeah, woe is me. I'm getting drunk and playing D&D. That's terrible. <laughs> but it was, it, was, it was an awesome birthday for myself as well. Good. Yeah. Well, you had to get him back for last year. That's what I said. So last year, everyone might recall that he and Laura conspired to surprise me. And Laura came up here for my birthday. And in return, what did I do for his birthday? I took him to a fucking movie. That was it. So (laughs) I get my best friend coming into town. He gets a movie. So this year I knew I had to get him back. I can't get over that you call somebody a dungeon master. Like, that's the nerdiest fucking thing I've ever heard. A few months ago, Elisa was like, oh, yeah, you know, I can read a court at this time, maybe, but I got to speak to my dungeon master first. I'm like, what the fuck? (laughs) Dungeon master? (laughs) Who's controlling you? Do you need help? (laughs) Do you know what's funny about that, too, is my very first date with my boyfriend we're we've only known each other about 20 minutes at this point uh in 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 person at least and 20 minutes in he just sort of casually tells me he's like yeah so just by the way i'm a dungeon master and i'm like whoa <laughs> and i had no context for this shit i didn't know anything about dnd i'm like what the fuck are you telling me right now <laughs> of course he explained it and i'm like okay well that's fine but my first thought was this is about to go like Fifty Shades of Grey style shit. 
I don't know what's happening, but yeah, he opened with that. That's his opener. That's amazing. That's pretty incredible. I have to say, uh, I do have to ask. It's weird. Uh, at what point in your game did the Demogorgon get out? <laughs> this is important. Yeah. What happens if you die like halfway through the game? Do you still have to sit there? No, first of all, we don't have a Demogorgon in our campaign. Um, <laughs> not yet. The not, not yet. Okay. Uh, uh. No, first of all, the, the dungeon master kind of decides whether or not you die. He can just choose to incapacitate you or knock you unconscious. So it's at his discretion, and oftentimes he takes mercy on us. But if, if you do die, like actually die, usually you just create a new character or find some way to resurrect, but usually just create a new character. All right. Anyway, enough nerd. You can talk. move on now. I'm sorry. At the end of last week's episode, I asked for recommendations concerning PS4 games because I was planning on buying it. Um, so I did dive deeper into credit card debt, and I bought a PlayStation 4 Pro, and I bought um, Overwatch, which I haven't started playing yet. Um, uh, Watch Dogs 2, which is the game I was trying to describe at the end of last week's episode, but couldn't remember the title of, and Zero Horizon Dawn. This game is the one I've been playing so far, and it's so fucking good. And it's kind of like Zelda because it's like it's open world and it's this beautiful uh, natural landscape mixed with these tech beasts of sorts. Um, So I'm like a day into playing it, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And oh my god, are the PlayStation 4 graphics beautiful compared to the uh, Nintendo Switch? It is a big step up. Really? Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah, the Pro is beautiful. I have one as well. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Do you... Andrew, you and I are going to have to connect. Oh, my God, yes. The PlayStation Network so we can, like, chat while we play games and shit. Yeah, that'd be fun. That'd be fun. I... <laughs> this is going to start really getting nerdy. Um, I also bought a 4K TV, <laughs> which I'm setting up tomorrow. And the reason I bought the PS4 Pro was because it can kind of upscale to 4K. So I'm really excited to see what it looks like mm. on that. Alisa, you and I can play with our dungeon masters. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move on to some news. So last week we spoke about the shooting in Parkland, Florida. Um, and the discussion has now turned to what we do to prevent this type of thing from happening again. Now... A lot of liberals and a lot of people who are okay with the Second Amendment, but want to uh, just just tighten up the Second Amendment. Amendment say more background checks, more uh, mental health care, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But a talking point that's been coming out of the NRA, and now unfortunately the president is to arm teachers with guns. And here is a moment from Trump um, on camera. On February 22nd. We have to harden our schools, not soften them up. A gun-free zone to a killer or somebody that wants to be a killer, that's like going in for the ice cream. That means that nobody has a gun except them. Nobody's going to be shooting bullets in the other direction. One of the fake news networks, CNN last night, was saying, I want teachers to have guns. I don't want teachers to have guns. I want certain highly adept people, people that understand weaponry, guns, uh, if, they're, if they really have that aptitude. Because these people are cowards. They're not going to walk into a school 
if 20% of the teachers have guns, and maybe 10% or maybe 40%. Whoa. And what I'd recommend doing is the people that do carry, we give them a bonus. We give them a little bit of a bonus. But active shooter drills is a very negative thing. I, I, I'll be honest with you. It, it, I mean, if I'm a child and I'm 10 years old and they say, we're going to have an active shooter drill, I say, what's that? Well, people may come in and shoot you. I think that's a very negative thing to be talking about, to be honest. <laughs> this is so bizarre. He's, he's for guns in school, but against active shooter drills. Because those are too scary. But guns in school? With teachers? Oh, that's okay. But but he wa- he also says he he doesn't want teachers to have guns. He wants right. people who are trained to handle a firearm and has the training to. He's describing a police officer, right? Or he's but, describing security. But then thirty seconds later, he says teachers with guns. After saying not teachers with guns, I mean, I just wonder if anybody has envisioned what it would look like to arm teachers. Um, let's say worst case scenario, we have armed teachers and God forbid a gunman comes into a school. Now you have bullets flying in two fucking directions. Good job. Right. That's certainly going to make things safer. So I have had a few questions about this. I've been thinking about this because in last week's After Dark, when we called a bunch of our listeners, I had brought up that my sister teaches first grade and my mother is in that same school as a secretary. So she's kind of on the front lines. She lets people into the school through the the buzzing system. So I've been thinking about this. um, And first of all, how would this affect teacher and student relations, knowing that one of them has a gun in the classroom? Second of all, the good guy with a gun in a school thing doesn't always work. As we found out in the past week, the armed guy... I think he was a police officer, um, was on the campus, did not go into the school when the shooter started attacking. He was too scared. So that doesn't always work. Um, how about high schools? They're big campuses. If, 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 if the shooter starts shooting in the C wing and the teacher with a gun is in the A wing, that's not going to stop the guy. And then how about this? The teacher has to shoot a fucking child. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I mean, we already expect so much from our teachers already. And we don't even pay them enough money. So I this this is, should not be something that teachers should consider when, or people should consider when getting into the career of education. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I want to say this. I used to be a teacher. Um, I taught third grade for a short period of time and realized that I didn't have the the right personality for teaching children that young. Um, and what I can say about kids that young is they are all over the place. It's like trying to herd cats. So imagine a bunch of panicked eight-year-olds in an active shooter situation. And then envision yourself as the teacher who now has the weapon. And it's now your job to actively defend those students with a weapon. Right. You're automatically putting yourself and those students at greater risk just by virtue of having that. Um, to Andrew's point about how that would impact student-teacher relations, I think anybody who has studied anything about educational pedagogy would say that knowing that your teacher has a gun would greatly impact your motivation <laughs> in the classroom. 
Uh, because if you have children who have certain issues that they're dealing with at home, like let's say that maybe they live in a neighborhood where gun violence is a distinct reality and they see the horrible things that guns can do on a daily basis, or say that there's a gun in their home and they think that they're comfortable handling a gun because of that. And now all of a sudden they have access to one in the classroom. Right. Putting a gun in the classroom is not positive for students. But not even just like elementary schools, but like think about like high schools as well. Like kids are horrible, like especially when they're going through adolescence. And just knowing the idea that every teacher on campus would have or have a protected firearm with them. Like one of the objectives now to for kids is like, let's try to steal uh, Mr. So-and-so's gun or let's try to take it. Right. Like like it's. Yeah. It's it's just basically a free for all for teenagers to get access to guns. This is this is the president of the United States suggesting that public school teachers who are just incredibly underpaid as it is, he's volunteering our public school teachers for bodily harm, injury, potentially death. That's what that's his solution. To gun violence in this country is to say, you know what, here's my proposal. How about our public school teachers sign up to get themselves killed? That's the solution. This is supposed to be one of the, I mean, this position of power in the White House is supposed to be one of the most serious, thoughtful, uh, you know, policymakers in the developed world. And that's his suggestion. It's absurd. And it's absurd that we even have to sit here, that anyone has to sit there and and enumerate the reasons why it's absurd. I think we all know inherently that this is madness. And it's crazy that we have to sit here and, and disseminate that. The, the fa- it's not teachers' jobs, number one. That's the most important thing. We have, we have police officers and first responders who go through years and years excuse me, years and years of training to get to the point of being able to respond to active shooters. And yet we're supposed to ask our, you know, art teacher and our history teacher who make pennies on the dollar to just take that up tomorrow. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. But all, but, but that aside, the insult that it is to teachers aside, logistically it makes no sense because now you have, plainclothes individuals carrying a gun in an active shooter situation. The cops come in and how are they supposed to, in the, in, in the heat of the moment and in, in, in panic, how are they necessarily supposed to determine which plainclothes person with the gun is the shooter and which one's the teacher trying to stop the shooter? Exactly. Right. Yeah. So now you just have more bullets flying all over the place. It's only going to lead to more fatalities and I can't get, I mean, I just can't get over the fact that I have to explain that to anyone and that that has to even be said. I feel like this is, to me, in some ways, this is the real story. The real story is the fact that once again, Trump has gotten the entire country to to sink to his level and to even humor these thoughts. Yes, the majority of us are sitting here saying how crazy and ridiculous it is. But it should be so absurd that we laugh at it and then move on. 
That's how yeah. absurd it is. And the fact that we have to have like fucking town hall debates and like you know articles upon articles and reporting and and and, and whole conversations with one another as a nation about it is a waste of our breath. I know. It's so frustrating we have to even mm-hmm. talk about it. Well, and-, and I think it boils down to the fact that unfortunately much of of the people who are on the Republican side of the aisle in American politics right now don't actually care for a solution um, because the solutions that might actually impact something are going to cost them money one way or the other. So it turns into a discussion about, okay, well, you don't want to change gun laws. Then we have to start upping our school infrastructure so that schools can withstand these kinds of attacks. So looking at a school in Indiana, by the way, Real School has implemented a very sophisticated um, anti-shooting type system where they have cameras all over the school that allow them to monitor at all times. They have smoke bombs installed in the ceilings that actually spray down like a blinding smoke that like burns the eyes of somebody who's wandering in the hallway who shouldn't be there. Um, the sheriff's office can know automatically when an intruder enters the building because they have a direct line to see all of that. They also have a panic room style thing in their office where somebody can be monitoring those cameras all over the school to report directly to the sheriff's office who's wandering around and what's happening. And the cost of all of that for that one school was $400,000. And I guarantee you, they don't want to spend that kind of money. So really, right. this just so boils here's down a gun. to money. They don't want to spend the money, and they also don't want to give up their generous donations from the NRA. That's it. Yeah, it well, does really go. come down to the NRA. Um, I want to include this piece of feedback from one of our listeners, Diana. She said, I'm a middle school teacher. I teach three subjects and have 180 students. I do as much as I can with the little resources I am given. To some of my students, I am a part-time counselor. To others, a substitute parent. Some might need a sounding board, a meal provider, etc. I try, and I try so hard. Now these fuckers have the fucking audacity to tell me I have to add basically a weapon-wielding vigilante to that already exhausting list? They can fuck right off. Agreed. I'm so curious what my sister is thinking about this. Like I said, she's a first-grade teacher because her husband is very pro-Trump. He's also pro-guns. I've been so tempted to write on her or my mom's Facebook wall. So what AR-15 has Trump bought you? (laughs) No, it's just funny to me. I cannot imagine what those discussions must be like in her home. She, I think, avoids politics. That's what I've heard from my mom because she knows that our side of this family is split from his side of the family. So she tries to avoid it. But now those politics are coming into her life. Ugh. Anyway, yeah, Laura, tell us about that, the uh, backlash to the NRA. Yeah, so numerous companies have announced that they are pulling partnerships with the NRA. Um, previously, these companies' partnerships would allow uh, registered NRA members to get discounts. Uh, one of those companies is Delta. Uh, they recently announced that they will no longer be providing an NRA discount And people are kind of losing their minds over it, including Lieutenant Governor Casey Cagle of the great state of Georgia. He tweeted today, I will kill any tax legislation that benefits Delta unless the company changes its position and fully reinstates its relationship (laughs) with the NRA. Corporations cannot attack conservatives and expect us not to 
strike back, I guess it said. Um, Which is funny because Delta is based in Georgia, you fucking idiot. It's like, it's like literally, (laughs) pun intended, shooting yourself in the foot. Because George, or Delta has, employs something like 30,000 people in the state of Georgia, brings the state a ton of revenue. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, oh, why? It's crazy. People are stupid. All so, right. Yeah. By the way, Casey Cagle is running for uh, governor in Georgia. So if you're a Georgian, don't vote for this motherfucker. Hmm. I recommend Stacey Abrams. She's awesome. NPSA. Skip your kegels. <laughs> so Iceland is about to make some history. They are about, they're set to become the first European nation to ban male circumcision. The oh. law will impose a prison sentence. This isn't just a penalty. This is no joke. The law will impose a prison sentence of up to six years for anyone who performs a circumcision without a clear medical need. Religious leaders are decrying this law as being discriminatory and, quote, a dangerous attack on religion and something that will make life for Muslims and Jews unsustainable in Iceland. Currently, it's worth noting, one in three boys worldwide are circumcised for religious or cultural reasons. Iceland argues that male circumcisions are little different from female ones, which are already banned throughout all of Europe, and that circumcision in general violates the child's rights to their own body and infringes upon the United Nations Convention on Children's Rights. Now, the government does acknowledge that parents have the right to give religious guidance to their children, and such a, but, but however, such a right can never exceed the rights of the child. Boys who wish to be circumcised for religious or cultural reasons may do so when they reach an age at which they can, quote, understand what is involved with such an action. So I think we've talked about circumcision in the past on the show briefly, but I think we're really seeing a, um, a shift here in, 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 it, in the way that it's manifested in terms of laws. You know, we have cultural conversations, but this is actually, you know, a law that's going to impose a prison sentence on folks who do it. So I thought this was worth noting. Um, certainly not something that's being covered uh, mainstream. Uh, so I, I don't know. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm fascinated by this. And I have pretty, pretty set feelings on the matter, but I wanted to get your guys' thoughts. Um, and first of all, who here is circumcised? <laughs> um. Well, I, I know you are, Elisa, and I know I am. I think all of us are circumcised. Hell no. Yeah. I, let me decide what I do with my foreskin and my child's foreskin. Thank you very much. It's just... Yeah. It, That's... It, go sorry. ahead, Andrew. I was just going to say, it's it's the cool thing to do in America, and it better... I don't think it'll ever change here. Is it? Yeah. Is it? Is it a cool thing to do? I think it is a... Uh, I think it's we do look. it strictly because we have it done on ourselves. I think we talked about this too. Like a lot of, uh, we talked about this in a previous uh, season. And I think we even mentioned a study where 
most of the uh, men that were interviewed about why they circumcised their child is was mainly because they were circumcised when they were born. Right. Mm-hmm. It's there's certainly you know for instance I have male family members who are significantly younger than me. You know, I was you know in my teens when like my cousins were born. So this isn't weird. I just know this because I was like 13 when they were born. But I know for a fact that like they were circumcised because I remember that happening. And uh, my family's not religious at all. There was no religious reason for doing it. There was no medical reason for doing it. It was purely just this is kind of like the thing to do. And it's just what seemed natural and normal, bizarrely enough. Um, But I guess the question is, where do we draw the line? Where do we draw the line between a cultural or religious phenomena and, you know, bodily autonomy? Because I think that, I think all of us can agree that a a child, like a, you know, a, a child has or should have some autonomy over his or her body to the extent that they're not mutilated, at least, you know, like, you know, put it, if your, if your mother puts on like a ridiculous, embarrassing hat or pigtails, then, you know, you just have to live with it. That's like a completely different thing. But when we're talking about mutilation or surgery, even any kind of medical um, modification to a body, shouldn't children's rights supersede that but like how what's the solution here because you get circumcised at birth if you don't get circumcised does a doctor come to you at 15 is like all right kid do you want to be circumcised and then you're like fuck no i don't want to be cut off i'm 15 well right well i think what iceland is saying is that yeah basically that you're not allowed to be circumcised until you are of age and you can make that decision for yourself. And at that point, you know, you can be, you can be anesthetized. You can be made numb so that you aren't, you don't feel it, which by the way, they genuinely do not do for babies. Yeah. Um, which is absurd. Which is super, fu- to I mean, me. it's torture. It's super fucked yeah. up. Um, we would never accept that in any other capacity. But what Iceland is saying is, is, yeah, you can do it yourself or, or ha- go to a doctor and have a doctor do it for you if you reach 18 and you decide, yeah, for cultural and or religious reasons, I want this done to me. That is and should be acceptable. The question is, yeah. should parents be able to impose that on, you know, a one-week-old infant? Uh, I-, I have, you know, I, I have really mixed feelings on this because... On the one hand, if I ever had a son, I would absolutely not circumcise him Um, because as we've already established, there's really no medical reason to do it. I'm not religious. And it does Um, cut a lot of nerve endings. Right. And so it actually Mm -hmm. does impact some of the sensitivity of the penis. (laughs) But like, we don't live in the desert. We, we, We are much cleaner now than we used to be. The justification for a long time for circumcision on males was that it was um, it was a way of re- remaining clean. It made it easier to, to keep things downstairs um, clean and avoid infections Penis. and stuff like that. Right. But we don't, we don't live in that society or in that world anymore. So 
as Matt said earlier, it's just something that has been passed down from generation to generation because dads think that their sons should look like them. And I mean, it's not an illogical thought. I mean, if if you are operating within the confines of a historical tradition that has been passed on to you over thousands and thousands of years, it doesn't make you a bad person for sort of bowing to that and circumcising your child. But I think that now we're having the conversation, we're coming to this realization as a society that we don't really know why we do this. Yeah, exactly. Perhaps we should be open and at least saying, you know what? I don't personally have a problem with it, but I recognize it's fucking weird. I feel like if we got that far, it would at least mark some progress. Yes. Now, in terms of jail sentences, I don't know about that. I think this is so ingrained in culture for some people that all of a sudden flipping the switch like that and saying this thing that has been done for thousands and thousands of years, all of a sudden you're going to get put in jail for doing, even though for you it may be uh, an ingrained rite of passage, you know? So I don't know. I think it's fucked up and wrong. I would never do it. I'm kind of okay. I guess for me, the logical conclusion to my sentiments on the matter make me okay with the jail sentence because my view on circumcision is that forced circumcision on on a child or someone who's under age, forced circumcision, regardless of gender, is mutilation. That is genital mutilation. If you were if forget forgetting this conversation, if you were to just at random one day for whatever unknown reason, look up genital mutilation in the dictionary and read the definition and then a few days later ponder that you would realize hey fuck this is literally the textbook webster's definition of genital mutilation and we we don't accept it in females we don't accept it in females and by the way i'm not talking about uh you know circumcision of the clitoris which is objectively different i am saying that for example the whole argument about cleanliness can well be applied to the female labia and if you were to and and trust me women's junk can get just as unhygienic as men's and it would be much easier from a cleanliness perspective to not have a bunch of folds flapping around down there so why aren't we okay with snipping that off of young little girls and so therefore, if we're not okay with it for, for little girls, we should not be okay with it for men and vice versa. There, there should not be a double standard here. And if we accept that it is genital mutilation, then the natural conclusion is that it should be illegal. That's um, the natural conclusion. I think what, uh, at least how I can uh, vindicate the whole uh, – jailed sentence thing is that since it is the law now that since if if it goes into law uh that means that no hospital or at least uh, medical professional is allowed to conduct a a circumcision on a child until that child becomes of age and decides for themselves so if at any point um that if any parent wants to get get their child a a circum uh, get them circumcised before they turn that age, they have to go to like a third party or somewhere that is not uh, 
that that's not clean or uh, could have very serious medical uh, side effects. And that would technically be mutilation. And so that would be like a, a criminal offense to their child. Well, and that's how a lot of people who do this for religious reasons do it. Um, I know that oftentimes they won't necessarily have their children circumcised in a hospital because circumcision is a religious ceremony in a lot of cultures. So usually it'll right. be Right. Well, the Jewish faith especially. Is, right. Like, it'll they, be performed, it's called a bris. Yeah. It'll be performed by whatever religious uh, council they have in their temple or mosque or wherever it is that they practice. Um, so I agree. I don't think that that kind of stuff should be happening outside of a medical setting. What I do want to say is that I have a little bit of a problem with comparing male circumcision to female circumcision. Not to say that male circumcision is better than female circumcision. I agree that they are both forms of genital mutilation. But I think the reason that a lot of people aren't quite as squeamish about male circumcision is because it does not have the long-lasting negative effects that female circumcision has. Female circumcision makes sex painful for women for the entirety of their lives. Male circumcision doesn't do that. It can if you remove the entire labia, but but just yeah, like with but the male purpose of male circumcision is for like health purposes, and well, female mutilation say, like, is is so is to punish the woman from having any pleasure during sex. I, Am I I'm getting that right? That I'm no, I'm saying I'm saying that oftentimes female circumcision is mistaken for, for example. Um, in instances where the clitoris has been cut off, that is not comparable to what we're discussing because that's that's just not comparable. I'm just saying labia versus foreskin. In both cases, neither of them provide like inherent a lot of sensation, and snipping them off doesn't necessarily do a whole make a whole lot of difference. Laura's point is that it does make a difference because snipping off all your labia can make sex very painful. That's true. If you take off all the labia, but just like with male circumcision, you know, you can, you can go halfway. You can be half circumcised as a male. You can also be half circumcised as a female, in which case the pain is not really so much of a factor. So I know it's, you know, they're, they're inherently different genitals. It's not 100% apples to aren't, or I'm sorry, apples to apples, but I think it's close enough I think I just think that especially as insofar as the law is concerned, we shouldn't have one law for men and one law for for women or vice versa, period. Victor, who's listening live on Patreon.com slash Millennial says, I had to get one when I was 16 for medical reasons. It was one of the most physically painful experiences of my life. Oh, God. Yeah, because you're 16, too. Like you're going through. Yeah all of these hormones mm-hmm. and like I remember when I was 16 like I bump into a wall and I get a heart on so I I you're I mean the whole po- I think like you can't get an erection while you're uh uh while you're coming <laughs> out of recovery from that well yeah I would imagine not because it <laughs> yeah. just keep tearing <laughs> um Angel says uh i'm against circumcision but like victor said if you need to get it done as an adult it's super painful and you remember it for life that's the only reason i think it's better as a child you don't remember it i have to agree with that point i i think it's none none of us remember it so it's it's good that it happens then 
no matter what your position is on it. And I think the other thing is for dads making that decision, I'm not so sure it's completely about what what I have, what I my son should follow me. It's also just like normal. It's perceived as normal. That's the look. That's what you do. Right. It's normal because that's what dad has and that's what dad's dad had and his dad and so on and so forth. And all these guys I see in porn, that's what they have mostly. Some uncut guys. I do want to say, I, my last, my, the last thing I want to say is because I know I've, I've gone hard on, on this because I do have <laughs> strong feelings about, you know, mutilating infants. But I think <laughs> I, I do want to say in, in, in all fairness, freedom freedom of religion and religious liberty is a bedrock democratic principle we should not be curtailing it lightly ever for any reason even as someone who's not religious at all like myself recognizes that a free society must carefully and with your life uphold religious liberty and everyone's right to practice their conscience but with all rights, there is a limit. All rights are limited in some way. As liberals, we talk constantly about how Second Amendment rights should be limited. You have the right to free speech, but you can't yell fire in a crowded room. There are classic examples like that. Religious liberty must be upheld, even by those who aren't religious, such as myself. I don't want to make light of, of that at all. So I, I hear their complaints, and I think they're valid concerns. But I, I also think we need to acknowledge that every right that we have is limited, and religious liberty is no exception to that. And I think it's completely fair to draw the line at forced anything, frankly, on another mm-hmm. human being. That's, that's, that's yeah, amazing. I think, I think that saying any kind of forced cosmetic surgery on a child is just not necessary and i mean what is foreskin removal if not cosmetic i mean we've already touched on that andrew said it's the look we know it's not medical that said i also want to add in a disclaimer here uh there is nothing wrong with having a circumcised penis i know that sometimes damn right i feel like I feel like when this discussion comes up, I always feel kind of bad because living in the U.S., I feel like most of the men that I know probably are circumcised because that's what's in here. There's nothing wrong with that. This isn't about making you feel shame about your penis. Yeah. Don't circumshame me, Laura. (laughs) Don't appreciate it. I don't think Lincoln was circumcised because in his speech, he was like four skin and seven years ago. We have one more story we want to talk about, and we're going to attach a game to it, which will be fun. Uh, But I do want to tell you about this week's sponsor. They are Aura Organic. Aura Organic creates ridiculously nutritious and delicious supplements that are better for people and the planet, which is right up Elisa's alley. Aura was created by and for healthy foodies to replace synthetic supplements with nutrients from organic and sustainable sources. That means omega-3 from microalgae and protein from plants. And because they love food, Aura has their own chef who creates delicious flavors for their products. Aura's products are made in California and are vegan, organic, gluten-free, dairy-free, soy-free, non-GMO, and sustainably sourced. I've been using their vanilla protein powder in the past couple weeks to get myself back together. 
uh, in, terms, get, in terms of getting in shape. And So Lean, So Clean, that's what they call it, is vegan and USDA certified organic protein powder with over 20 different organic superfood ingredients. This vegan protein has complete amino acid profile and a full spectrum of digestive enzymes to aid in digestion and bioavailability. So it's super nerdy stuff, super good for you. Uh, it's perfect for busy professionals, moms and dads on the go, athletes, students, and health junkies. Plant-based protein supports normal bodily function, muscle recovery, and growth, which makes it a great post-workout snack or just blend with some banana and plant-based milk and voila, breakfast is served. Try Oreo Organic with 15% off your first order when using the code M-I-L-L at Aura.Organic. Thank you to Aura Organic for their support of the show. So we got a um, follow-up to the big memo, (laughs) big quote-unquote story with part two, huh, Laura? Yes. So y'all might remember that, as Andrew said, we talked about the Nunes memo a couple of weeks ago. Uh, This was the memo released by House Republicans whose intention it was to discredit our intelligence agencies and prove that the FBI and the Justice Department unfairly targeted the Trump campaign for surveillance due to anti-Trump bias. Well, the Democrats have finally been given room to respond with their own heavily redacted memo after President Trump initially blocked its release two weeks ago. Uh, In addition to actually backing itself up with sources, um, this memo was several pages pages longer than the three-page Nunes memo, and it worked to debunk some of the claims uh, that were made point by point. Um, so just to go over a few quick takeaways here, um, this memo claimed that the Steele dossier did not inform the FBI's decision to begin its investigation in July of 2016. We talked about this a couple weeks ago. Uh, this was one of the main accusations that the Nunes memo made, was that uh, this dossier that was obtained by the DNC and the Clinton campaign in order to discredit Trump, um, they were basically trying to argue that the FBI based its decision to open this investigation on DNC obtained information. And that's not true because the investigative team actually didn't receive the memo until seven weeks after the investigation had begun. Oh, yep. (laughs) So that was, that was a bit of an oops. Um, The Nunes memo also contains falsehoods, according to this memo, um, which are contradicted by classified documents, which Nunes, uh, as House Intelligence Committee chair, was allowed to read, but reportedly opted not to. And again, this is something that is cited and sourced in the Democrats memo. Uh, You can look it up. It's a really quick read. Not quite as quick as the Nunes memo, but you can't have everything. (laughs) Um, Zing. Another thing is that Carter Page had an extensive record of doing something redacted. We don't know what. It's crossed out uh, prior to joining the Trump campaign and that he had lived in Russia from 2004 to 2007 um, and had been recruited by a Russian intelligence officer for doing something redacted. Um, And also that the Justice Department did not request a warrant to surveil him until, until a few months after Carter was no longer part of the Trump campaign. Um, So this was another one of the accusations that was made in the Nunes memo that uh, he was specifically targeted for working on the Trump campaign. And it looks like 
it was actually more to do with his previous interactions with uh, the Russian intelligence community. Um, and finally, the, the fourth major claim that this memo purports to um, prove wrong is that the FBI and the Justice Department uh, were transparent, the memo says, about Christopher Steele's background, reporting history, source network, and lightly biases. Um, the Nunes memo tried to claim that they sort of hid Steele's background when they were requesting warrants to surveil Carter Page and George Papadopoulos. Um, and it turns out they were pretty transparent about those things when they went to court to request that warrant. So sorry for the info dump, but that's kind of the the main takeaways that I got from reading it. Uh, I don't know if y'all had a minute to read the memo as well. Wanted to react. Uh, I tried and I fell asleep after the first like three sentences. I just don't <laughs> care about this memo drama because as soon as that first one came out, the Nunes memo came out, I, uh, you know, there was nothing in there that was very interesting. And Trump was grasping at tra- straws going like, it totally vindicates me. The FBI blows ass. And then we all, you know, sort of moved on. So. I yeah, but that's also the thing that kind of worries me is like I I didn't really like put too much stock into reading it because like this, this stuff happens so often now that like once I read it like what good is it going to do? There's going to be something else that, you know, should be shocking, but it's not because we're getting desensitized by it all. Yeah, I think the point here is that none of this is shocking. Um and it should real- be. Well, I mean, the the real point of this memo that the Democrats released was to defend our intelligence community because the Nunes memo was effe- effectively trying to destabilize any um, confidence that we, the American people, have in those communities and trying to call into question um, the legitimacy of the Russia investigation. So the point of this memo is to go point by point through the Nunes memo and debunk all of the claims that it makes Um, I don't think that either this memo or the Nunes memo are groundbreaking because quite frankly, they don't tell us anything that we didn't already largely know. Right. Um, But I felt like we we owed this a little bit of airtime since we gave time to the Nunes memo. God, yeah, for talking about that joke of a memo. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Stupid memos. Memos, memos, memos. (laughs) I'm going to make my own memo. The thing that's so funny about this is the Nunes memo was not redacted at all. And uh, the FBI and the DOJ were really pissed off about that memo because they claim that it does have some confidential information that they really didn't want released to the public at that time. The Democrats memo, however, is heavily redacted. Um, So we're going to play a little game. Uh, We've taken three heavily redacted sections from this memo And we're going to try and fill in the blanks for you guys. If you're listening with us live at home, you can pull up the document for uh, season four, episode eight and have a look and send us suggestions of what you think the redacted sections say. Um, So I'll go ahead and start. I'm going to read the section with the redactions first, and then I'm going to fill in the blanks. So this says pages redacted in Moscow with redacted senior Russian officials redacted as well as meetings with Russian officials, redacted. So y'all ready for this? This is... Yeah, give us the scoop. Yeah, this is uh, this is a bombshell. 
Page's intergalactic furry sex ring in Moscow with 12 senior Russian officials was found to be in negotiations with the Trump campaign for renting space at a planned Trump Tower hotel in Moscow, as well as meeting with Russian officials to determine the appropriate number of shirtless Vladimir Putin portraits to be displayed at said furry sex ring meetings. Holy shit. Yeah. Paige knows big. how to decorate. I you know, it. and I thought the PP tapes were bad, but this, this is the real news. I can't wait to see John King cover that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Andrew has one. Yeah. So um, as early as blank, a Russian intelligence officer, blank, targeted Paige for recruitment. Paige showed blank. Here's the exclusive. As early as 2013, a Russian intelligence offer knew the P-tape existed and targeted Page for recruitment. Page showed his wang to Donald before Donald decided Carter was girthy enough to pee on the girls. So Page was the one who did the pee-pee? Yes, in the oh intergalactic space meeting. And girth is mentioned. a factor. Yeah, I wonder, <laughs> I wonder how that decides that is this hang on we have 50 percent of our panel have penises does that actually make a difference uh when you if 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 you're girthy you got more muscles in there so you can kind of mm-hmm. spray harder when i mean you want I, to. I don't I know because i have no way of comparing it <laughs> <laughs> you've never had a pee party where you all pee on each other well or? not where we detach each other's penises and try and see how one flows better than the other whoa 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 we're not talking fire hoses here i think we're gonna I'm need talk- another memo i think that's the only way we're gonna know <laughs> millennial we're memo. gonna need another penis all right and we do have a final one here uh i i'll give it a go um george papadopoulos revealed redacted that individuals linked to Russia who took interest in Papadopoulos as a Trump campaign policy advisor informed him in late April 2016 that Russia redacted. George Papadopoulos revealed in an accidental Vine clip that individuals linked to Russia who took interest in Papadopoulos as a Trump campaign foreign policy advisor informed him in late April 2016 that Russia had tried to force him to become a nuclear arms mule, implanting condoms (laughs) full of nuclear waste in his ass. In a leaked Vine video. (laughs) Oh, that's perfect. That was beautiful. So we know that that, this must have happened pre-2015 because Hmm. Vine still existed. (laughs) (laughs) I don't fucking know. I don't fucking know, Laura. <laughs> okay, I'm I mean, not one of your fancy millennials. <laughs> I mean, we're just hey, we're just reading the report as it came to us. Um, so I just <laughs> assuming that anyone who is in any way connected to this, uh, if you don't want this to be the the official account of what these redactions say, I think you should release the real one. Mm. Please, I like this one. <laughs> All Um, right. Well, moving on, we have a new sponsor this week, HelloFresh, and I was able to try them out. What got my attention right away was how convenient it is. All the ingredients come pre-measured in handy labeled meal kits, so you know which ingredients go with which recipe. This was really great for me because I have a really busy lifestyle, and I didn't need to worry about planning dinner, 
spending money on takeout, or gathering the necessary ingredients to make something other than mac and cheese or frozen pizza, which is my usual go-to. Same. Um, (laughs) I also love the variety of what HelloFresh sent me to try. Kimchi tacos, pesto flatbread, and Mediterranean baked veggies. As someone who tries to avoid meat most of the time, but often feels like they run out of inspiration for preparing vegetarian dishes, these meals gave me things to cook that I never would have thought of on my own, which was made easy by the pictured step-by-step instruction cards that accompanied each meal. Elisa, I know you've used HelloFresh in the past with your boyfriend. Mark and I used it, uh, used my order together and had a lot of fun putting together a pretty snazzy-looking meal. Um, yeah. What have you and Brian liked the most about HelloFresh? So Brian and I have been doing HelloFresh for, I mean, really since I met him. So, you know, a year and a half, Um, you know, regardless of this advertisement or anything, we've just always loved HelloFresh. And a lot of it is what you said, so fucking convenient. Um, It, but my favorite part about it, really two things. One is it kind of forces you to cook with your partner and I think that's, I mean, it's great. It's a great bonding experience. Like after work, <laughs> instead of sitting down, turning on the television and ignoring each other, you go into the kitchen and you're actually doing like, you know, an, an activity. And we talk and drink while we cook. And we're able to do that because we don't have to focus so much on measuring everything out or what step comes next. It's all like right there in front of you, which I love. But the second reason I like HelloFresh so much is because you really learn how to cook and you learn a lot of new recipes and little secrets to things that carry over into meals that aren't even HelloFresh's. So I learned how important, for instance, acid is in food, like having lemon or some kind of acid mixed in. And now I do that on like all my fucking meals and it's a game changer. Hmm. Uh, so anyway, I, I, it's, it's, it's a cool service. Like it's, 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 totally been worth it yeah i agree my favorite recipe was the pesto flatbread it was basically Mm. the perfect size personal pizza loaded up with zucchini pesto broccolini sun-dried tomatoes and garlic it was so easy to put together as elisa said and it looked so fucking good when it was finished when i took pictures yeah dude i think i sent you a picture of it You did. I was about to say it's like instagram worthy every meal is i'm not even one of those people that that takes pictures of my food until I started making HelloFresh. And I'm like, I have to show everyone now. Yeah, I know. It made me feel super accomplished because some of the people I sent pictures of it to asked where I had ordered it from. And I was like, oh, "Oh, I just made that. Yeah, don't tell them. I lie. And I said that I invented this. (laughs) (laughs) Well, for your convenience and and for you to be able to tell your friends what you've invented, HelloFresh offers three plants to choose from, classic, veggie, and family – And for all of us busy millennials, includes a 20-minute meal on the classic menu once a week for when you really don't have tons of time for meal prep. Um, I know a lot of our listeners have young kids and are starting families, so I also wanted to mention their kid-tested recipe, easy-peasy ravioli gratin with spinach, thyme, and Parmesan breadcrumbs. Millennial listeners can get a special offer for their first week of HelloFresh by going to HelloFresh.com and entering promo code MILLENNIAL. 30 for $30 off your first week of HelloFresh. That's HelloFresh.com and enter code Millennial30. It's time to deliver Matt some goodbyes in a convenient box. Last week, we asked people to call in to the voicemail line, which is a Patreon benefit. 
And you ready, Matt? You got your oh, tissues out? God. Okay. Yeah, I'm ready. I'll take that. Yeah. All right. Here we go. Hi, Matt and the rest of Millennial. I just wanted to wish Matt the best luck ever. And I'm looking forward to hearing about his progress through school. And I hope that he gives himself a break every once in a while because nursing school is super hard. And I wish you the best of luck, Matt. That listener has a child. Yeah. That was sweet. It sounded like the child was crying in the background, like mourning the loss of Matt. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Matt, I just wanted to say you will be missed and good luck on your journey uh, to become a nurse. Become the Greg House nursing. And just so you know, I don't completely blame you for 9 11. That is the nicest thing I think anybody <laughs> has ever said to me. That wow. was thoughtful. I still blame you for 9-11. I still blame myself. All right, here's another one. Hi, Millennial. This is Angel. Um, I'm calling from Austin right now, but I am from Seattle. And I just wanted to say um, goodbye to Matt. Um, I'm sad that he'll be leaving the show, but I'm really excited for him that he will be um, pursuing a new dream. And I'm very confident that he will be a great nurse. Um Matt was my first podcast crush back in the day, and I actually met him on the Twilight um, imprint tour like 10 years ago, um, and we have a photo together where he is hugging me, um, and so I just wanted to thank him for being so sweet when I met him, and um, yeah, wish him the best in the future. Uh, speak to you guys soon. Bye-bye. We heard a lot about how nice of a person Matt is in real life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Elise is laughing because she knows the truth. <laughs> It's all a lie. I remember when Matt was nice to me. That was before we were friends. Yeah, that was, I think that was like a Tuesday or something. If Matt's nice (laughs) to you, then that's how you know you're not real close yet. That's. (laughs) (laughs) All right, here's another one. This person's long. They get real, uh, real honest, it looks like. Hi, guys. I hope this is actually the right number for the millennial voicemail. Um, <laughs> this is Betty calling. Uh, you guys surprised bitch me like not that long ago. But anyways, I wanted to call in because I know Matt's leaving and he is, no offense to any of the other hosts, but he's probably one of my favorites because I just think he is so underrated. Um, Matt always has these, like, really funny random anecdotes that I feel like sometimes he'll say them and, like, they kind of go unnoticed on the show, but they have me cracking up and sometimes you guys, like, won't even acknowledge some of the shit Matt says and it leaves me dying. But one of my favorite Matt moments was when he told, Andrew, I don't think you were on the show, but it was when he was telling the story about some robber that, like, climbed up his apartment window or something and ended up, ended up like, dying in his garage somehow because he fell out of a tree and then, like, I don't know if he yeah. bled out or what. Yeah. But, um, not that that's, like, a funny story, <laughs> but the way he started it, like, it was just, like, something that happened and Lauren and Lisa were just, like, listening like it was a regular story and then he got to the end where, like, the guy died and just, like, so nonchalant about it, I was kind of cracking up over it. Anyways, um, it's not going to be the same without you, Matt, and 
I hope you have good luck in your future endeavors. And I love all four of you guys. All right, bye. That was, that was great. I was Somebody... really curious to see where she was going with this story because it was a very dark story. That I said. Somebody didn't die, though, right? Yeah, he died. Oh, okay. <laughs> the great thing is that's exactly how you said it when you first talked about the story on the show. Yeah, he's, he's got dead. Two, two more. Here's a short one. My name's Catherine, and my favorite Matt millennial moment is when the hosts had to write in confessionals about themselves and Matt just wrote, I'm high as a kite, and signed it off with his own name. <laughs> yes. That, and yeah. here's the last one we received, and this one's kind of eerie. Oh. Hey, Millennial. I'm Sarah from Fullerton, California. Uh, Matt, I just wanted to... Let me pause right there. That's why it's eerie. Fullerton, California, that's where we used to live. Matt yeah. and I. The fuck? Okay. Uh, yeah. On save, I'm truly going to miss you being a regular host. I've always looked forward to hearing your take on things. I'm just going to miss hearing your voice so much. Um, one of my favorite moments of you on the show was back in season two when you came up with the game Game of Moans, which basically led to everyone inventing new sex positions like the snapping turtle. Um, anyway, I wish you all the luck with nursing, and hopefully we'll hear you on the show every now and then. Bye. That was great. I loved that game. That game was great. Some people wrote in with some emails as well. This is from Kaylee. First off, I would like to say that I love you all. I've been a dedicated listener since the beginning of Imprint. My junior high self totally had a crush on Matt and was so bummed when I realized we batted for the same team. Matt has always been such a light on the show. He always had me laughing. I'm so sad to see him go, but I totally understand considering I've taken those classes and they are rough. Your kind, joyful spirit will... Make you an amazing nurse. I hope to hear from you every once in a while as a guest. Best wishes. Oh, thank you. That's really sweet. God, that was this one's from now. Heidi. This one's from Heidi. Matt, as a listener from the beginning, thank you for never failing to make me smile and laugh. I love your bubbly nature and your self-confidence and how you come across as a genuine what-you-see-is-what-you-get person. I'm going to miss hearing you on the show, but I appreciate that school must come first. I wish you every success in your future career, and I hope you're able to come back on. P.S. The picture used on Facebook to ask for messages was gorgeous. Not ashamed to say, I still have a bit of a crush on you. Oh. Gross. Yeah, that picture was uh, Matt uh, in the uh, Capitol um, at sunset overlooking the Washington Mall. Yeah, where the fuck were we? Yeah. DC was uh, overlooking DC. the Republic before Trump took over. Finally, uh, not finally. Becky says, I know it's not really goodbye because we expect you to be a guest host often, but I will miss hearing your voice and laughter and all the positivity you bring to the show. When I first met you in Orlando in 2010 for the imprint tour, one of your co-hosts told me, Matt is one of the most genuinely nice, sweet, positive people you will ever meet. He's just a wonderful person. End quote. And I found well, that who, to be true in listening to you over the years. Keep on being you. Who, who spread that rumor in Orlando? I wonder who said that. I think it was Andrew. I think it was Emerson. And then you slapped <laughs> He Emerson. was not there. <laughs> no. And finally, Jasmine wrote a haiku for Matt. Laura, would you like to read it? You have a peaceful voice that matches it. Oh, okay. All hail Matt Britton. Yes. Farewell, dear sir Matt Britton. Nurse well. Matt Britton. <laughs> That's it? 
it's a haiku. Oh, it's a haiku. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. No. Uh, no Shell St- Silverstein poems for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt. Um, this is the end until after dark. But for now, this is the end. Do you have any final words of wisdom to? Spread to our listeners who describe you as a wonderful person, a, a nice person, a haiku-worthy person. Um, yeah, I I just want to say thank you to everybody who has listened to the show. Um, it's never ceased to amaze me how many of you guys have followed us on our podcasting journey, I guess, since, since the very beginning. Um, I want to even thank the people who stopped listening. And have absolutely no fucking idea what's going on right now. So I want to thank all you assholes, too. Um, I truly I truly consider everybody that all the listeners, um, I consider them more f- friends than actual, like, people who just listen to the show. Um, I know I've stayed in touch with uh, some of you for, for years now. Um, and it's been... Um, it's been truly incredible watching some of you become respectable adults by no help from us. I can tell you that. Um, <laughs> uh, I, I, I have to say I find it very gratifying to hear that uh, my humor has been, you know, appreciated and even understood at times. It's not an easy thing. I'll say that. Um, yeah, I mean, this community has, this podcasting area has been such a... Int- been a, such an integral part of my life and i don't think i'm ready to close the book on it just yet but if by chance it is i want to make sure that i say goodbye to you in some fashion um uh, i have the most oh i have the most utmost confidence in you two or you three there's three of you yeah there's three of you still <laughs> Uh, <laughs> uh, the most confidence that you guys will be continuing the show without me. I've no doubt you'll keep it as amazing and as funny, I guess, without me. I don't, I don't no. know. But um, I, I just want to wish everyone listening to this the absolute best. And I will never forget those of you who have stuck with us. And I will always think of you. Um, you'll stick with me like a scar, ugly and permanent. <laughs> that was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I truly yeah, mean that, that last part. Say, you've left an impression on the show too. And I mean, we've all been podcasting together for so long, but I know as we said before, this is a bittersweet moment, but I don't know. I'm just so fucking happy for you. Yeah, it is I bittersweet. Um, yeah. Like you're going to do great things. I, I know oh god i mean now that everyone's said it now it's like i actually have to do it <laughs> yeah the pressure's on no we we all love you matt we are absolutely sad to see you go um it's been sad just you know hearing your goodbye and hearing everybody else say goodbye to you but i'm glad to hear that you had an impact on so many of our listeners and yeah you're you're gonna be missed you're not going to, yeah, you're, you really are an irreplaceable voice on this show. I mean, there's just no way to, you have such a unique personality 
that. What a lovely and, way. And I it. and I know that sounds I know that sounds condescending and trite, and I don't mean it to. I'm being I'm being serious. You have such a unique personality that it's like there's no one like you that I've ever known in my life, let alone on a show. So I I do hope that we you know we bring you back on at some point for an update and i'm sure we'll hear from you again but yeah um all joking aside you're an asshole but you're an awesome person and i love you you're you're our asshole matt i'm your bleached asshole yeah (laughs) yeah exactly i mean it's just sad to say it's it's really weird to say goodbye because it doesn't feel like i'm saying goodbye Mm -hmm. i get that we love you so much. We would let you be our dungeon master. That's how much you mean to us. <laughs> Send in those DMs, guys. God, I That's can't the title imagine of the, episode, the story. Be our dungeon master. <laughs> I can't imagine the story Matt would put together for us. I just can't imagine. Elisa suffocates under a pile of styrofoam. Yeah, he fucking kills me first. That's for sure. No, I wouldn't kill anybody. I wouldn't kill anybody. I mean, you. Would, it would. Be like S and M instead of D and M, or D and D. Okay, but D and D. We're not done with Matt just yet. In After Dark today, we are going to um, talk a little more about this, the the growing abandonment of circumcision and how our parental norms are changing from our parents' generation to ours. So we're going to talk about how we, I guess, plan to parent <laughs> once we have kids. And Elisa also has some sort of revelation about burping. I, I think this is going to be one of those oddball stories that comes out of nowhere. So I'm looking yeah, forward really to that. Yeah, it really is. It is, but I swear it's 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 revelatory. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. I'm Andrew. I'm Elisa. I'm Laura. <laughs> oh, no, I'm still here. He's, he's gone. And I'm Matt. <laughs> Goodbye, Matt. Goodbye, everybody. (laughs) Bye. Oh, God. Yes. No. All right. That was like legit fucking sad. I hate you. (laughs) (laughs) That was sad. Hmm. God damn it. What? Were you not expecting it to be sad? What the fuck? No, I wasn't.